Hello there, friends, listeners, and neighbors who can hear me recording this through the wall. Just a note at the top that this is a very spoilery episode of the podcast, so if you haven't seen it, although box office numbers say that you likely have, maybe wait on this one a bit. I would suggest going to see it and then listening to the podcast. I think that is a great way to do it. But, you know, whatever floats your boat, floats. (laughs) Anyway, more important note, we also spoil... A handful of major events that happen in the book that are being saved for chapter 2. Now, we don't get into those until minute 50, so I think you should still listen for most of the podcast. Just when you see that clock, that timer, I don't know what the, the, the line with the time on it and your progress, you know, like 75% of the way through. When that hits 50 minutes, yank your headphones out, throw your phone across the room, punt a Funko Pop of Pennywise off of the roof. Do not let yourself get spoiled. But do listen. Just pay attention. Oh, and when we get to the part where we talk about Stan's monster, and I'm and I'm not sure why it's just a woman with a weird face. Uh, I totally forgot that Andy Muschietti just has a thing about weird faces, especially a specific painter and their rendition of women's faces weirdly and stretched out. Uh, so that's just a personal take of the director. I'll have a link to an interview where he talks about that in the notes. I think that's dumb, but I guess it's at least a reason, which is part of my whole issue with that in the first place, is it doesn't make sense. That's that you, You'll get to that. And thanks for listening. We're back. What happens when another Georgie goes missing? Us. Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win. Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250, or we were once. We are back again. We have returned, we have res- returned, and then we returned again. This is going really well. I'm just going to go ahead and say I am Tyler Hannon, <laughs> and my co-host on this podcast, Kayla St. Ange. <laughs> Hello. It has been so long since we've heard you on these airwaves, Kayla. It's, it's very exciting. It's good to be back. Unfortunately, my whole life schedule. I feel like I say this every time, but uh-huh, literally uh-huh. Yeah, my entire story. life schedule got changed to a different life schedule at work. So. I mean, sure, I'll be putting together a supercut of every time you use that <laughs> as an excuse, but it's it's fine. It's Sorry, fine. I have a job. <laughs> I don't. I just live on the side of the road we recording work at the podcasts. Same place. Anyway, that's not important. What is important is that joining us today. For our return is our good friend and horror aficionado and poet, Lauren Malisi. Hi, I'm back. Welcome back, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I think I just realized that during our little summer return, I think you were the first guest on that return episode as well. So oh. it's now tradition. It is now trend that whenever we come back from a long break, you are the guest on the podcast. I'm honored. 
yeah, congratulations, I guess. We'll <laughs> Thank send you. Send you a ribbon? A ri- I don't know. A fruit basket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's got to... There, there's got to be some kind of delivery service for that, like uh, flowers.com. Yeah, it's called Edible but... Arrangements. Oh, that's right. I would <laughs> love an Edible Arrangement. I would love for Edible Arrangements to sponsor this podcast, but they don't. So we're going to stop and we're going to scrub that name. <laughs> Not only do we have one of our favorite guests oh. helping us return to the podcast today, we are back to discuss an adaptation of one of our favorite authors. And what I think is one of our favorite movies of the year so far, collectively, mm-hmm. individually. It is a movie starring Jaden Lieberherr, but it's not the Book of Henry. And it is a Stephen King adaptation that's been long in the works, but it's not The Dark Tower. And it is a Stephen King adaptation that was reviewed really well, but it's also not Gerald's Game. Which still leaves another Stephen King adaptation, actually. But the one we're doing today is It, which apparently everybody's seen. Yes. (laughs) It's It's made $604 million combined domestic and foreign. And on the all-powerful Rotten Tomatoes killer of movies, it is a strong 85% with 200-plus reviews. And uh, everybody seems to be a big fan of this, you know, emotional, dramatic thriller. <laughs> you said the worst thing. Oh. It's the worst. Before we get into that, though. Well, I've gotten like... all of my not-actual jokes out of the way, so now you two can just like, actually talk about the movie insightfully while I sit back and... I think... Bask in my own wit. I think what I would like to talk about, maybe before we necessarily get super into the movie, Lauren is a super huge fan of Stephen King. We're both super huge fans of Stephen King. Lauren, could you just kind of tell us, like, how you got into Stephen King and, like, how it fits into that uh, fandom, I guess? Okay. Um, 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 um. I feel like most of my childhood memories are Stephen King movies just on TV. I watched The Green Mile when I was a child, like a very small baby child. And I remember, I remember being like six and the scene where the, the like electrocution is supposed to be happening and he doesn't wet the thing, like the, the thing that goes around his head or whatever. And the, I, And I remember my dad being like, oh yeah, he doesn't wet it. And me being like, well, why? Like, what does that mean? And, and just having nightmares about this, like, dude, like, having a botch electrocution, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then, like, later, um, I found my dad. My dad had a short story collection, and I can never remember the title. And every six months, I ask someone on Twitter to tell me what the short story collection is. Um, but there was a story in it about a, a guy on an autopsy table. He's awake throughout the entire autopsy. And... Um, and, yeah, and it's just really graphic and like really fucked. And and I remember sitting on the bathroom floor reading it because I knew it wasn't allowed to. And from there, I was like, okay. And then I think I saw it like on TV briefly when I was a child because I always remember Tim Curry. Um, but I didn't get in like really into him, into him until like college. And I think it was like the first. I like I watched the original movie and then read the book. Um, and like fell so deeply in love with the original that I was like so scared for the for the new adaptation. Like I was mortified that they were gonna just destroy all of my hopes and dreams. <laughs> Especially hot on the heels of Dark Tower doing exactly that to the Stephen King's fans who love that most. I don't know what you're talking about. There was no that didn't happen. Don't you erase <gasps> Idris Elba playing a gunslinger? I'm really How upset. Dare erase I'm that I'm really, image? really upset that it went so poorly, but it's cool. We'll always have the screenshots. <laughs> I thought that it was going to fail and the Dark Tower was going to be the big, like, 
boom, like, oh, hell yes. I don't think... Well, you were exactly wrong. Glad <laughs> I know, it. I love being wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, I'm good with everyone being wrong on that one. <laughs> I care about it way more than I care about... I haven't read the Dark Tower series because I have not had the time or mental fortitude to do that. It's like four different it's. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Kayla, what is your Dark Tower experience? Uh, my None. Or not Dark Tower. What is your Steve King experience? (laughs) Uh, My Steve King experience. Uh, So I think the first time I came into contact with Stephen King, I was 11 or 12. My grandma has been a huge fan of Stephen King, like, since he published Carrie. I don't remember exactly how this happened. The Shining was on TV, and I was trying to be like brave and cool because my grandma is super into horror movies mm-hmm. and I knew that she really liked it and I was like oh I'll watch it with you and she was <laughs> like I don't know it's pretty scary I watched it and like peed my pants basically not actually but uh did not sleep and it's super funny because I think when Tyler and I first started being friends when we first started like watching horror movies together we like watched The Shining together and I was like wow that was like way scary when I was 12 like I was like nervous to rewatch it but um so but because I am morbidly curious about all things that super upset me I made my grandma check me out all of like what she considered to be the best Stephen King novels from the library on her library card because they wouldn't let me rent them because I was too young And so I spent that summer, I read The Shining, and then I think I read Misery, Carrie, and I want to say The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, but that might have been later. I love that book. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I know that one's newer, and I'm not 100% sure when it was published, but I know I read it, like, pretty soon after. And then, like, when I was, like, 15 or 16, I read Salem's Lot for the first time. But, yeah, so, like... I haven't read all of, like, the greatest hits. I guess, like, I'm working my way through it, and I actually took a break from it to start reading Pet Cemetery today because I had the most ridiculously hard time tracking down a copy of it for some reason. And I finally found it at, like, our used bookstore, and I started. Uh, so, yeah. But the problem with it is that, like, you feel like you're making, like, really great progress on it, and then you look at your Kindle bar, and it says you're at 43%, and you're, like, 700 pages in. (laughs) I just need to take, like, a smidge of a break. But I think I just got back to the part where, like, the kids are going to go and, like, actually do it. So I got to, like, go back. You just reminded me of my correct Stephen King timeline. Like, bless you. Okay. So it it was Green Mile when I was six, and then jump ahead to um the shining being on tv and me watching with my family and then at the end when his face is frozen i screamed and started crying okay <laughs> i was, was a, i was a college aged girl okay college aged when that happened and then i then i watched it and then i read the book and then i read carrie misery and salem's law i think they're all in one big book that i have like it's three of the novels in one and then yeah yeah so similar yeah yeah okay that made that now it's all coming back to me that's awesome um, but- literally all i can think of is when you were on from princess mononoke and you kept and you said that you were afraid of blood demons <laughs> like- okay, i still am oh god <laughs> seems like also blood demon moment <laughs> I, I just like i didn't know his face was gonna do that i'd never seen it before <laughs> 
<laughs> my dad and my sister started laughing at me, and I was like, how does... No one thinks that frozen Jack Nicholson is horrifying? Are we for real? To be fair, that actually might be the scariest part of the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It really is. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> Tyler, uh, what was your Steve King awakening? I don't have a good idea for the timeline because it's mostly bits and pieces my first steve king stephen king memory <laughs> we gotta stop calling him i steve know king. because there's like a <laughs> shitty congressman who's named steve king and it ruins it like it makes me so mad because i love calling him steve king but um my first stephen king memory is actually in before third grade not reading or watching anything but my friend telling me this story about how his mom saw Stephen King at a gas station and he looked into her eyes and she just felt like cold and dark and like there was nothing there. Dude, that's literally an anecdote from the Adam Sandler movie. Is Mr. it really? Deans. That did not happen. To <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. I'm pretty sure it's from that movie. I had no idea. Hang on. I got to look it up, but there's definitely. I hope so. There's definitely. But anyways, that was my first memory of Stephen King. Uh, but, and then I think I saw a part of Pet Cemetery at some point. I'm just going to brush past the fact where Mr. Deeds was a formative memory for me. I really think it was, I think it was that one. It probably but I'm was. Not sure. But, anyway. um. <laughs> Is that the crazy eye scene from Mr. Deeds? He, well, he's like, I, I, the, he tells that story where he says yeah. that like a girl at a gas station looked in Stephen King's eyes and then like lost 50 pounds in the next two weeks or something. Yeah, like. <laughs> Changed the story just enough. Got you. Oh my god. But uh, the first book I read. Yeah, no, I know. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> no, my whole childhood's a lie. Like my friends were all liars. Uh, the, I actually didn't read my first Stephen King book until uh, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. I saw saw it in like a Scholastic book fair flyer for my school. And I, I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, that looks cool. The cover is like creepy. And I read that and I really liked it. And then I think the thing that really got me into St- Stephen King was actually his fantasy novel, uh, The Eyes of the Dragon, I think. I just bought a used copy of that, actually. Yeah, that was like my first. I, I read and really liked The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. But like, I don't know. I, re- I was really into like fantasy stuff at the time. I loved Timeline by Michael Crichton, which probably doesn't age well at all. Yeah, and and I, I don't even remember the timeline of books I read after that because I have a Dean Koontz phase I mostly regret before I graduated <laughs> up to Stephen King. And I'm like, oh, this is like actually the good version of what I was looking for in Dean Koontz, <laughs> except for Odd Thomas. I will stand by Odd Thomas. I will stand by the Dean Koontz novel Life Expectancy, but only because it's the only one that actually deserves the happy ending. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just... Some jumbled combination over the years of seeing Creep Show and Pet Cemetery and The Mist, which I like and Kayla hates, <laughs> and reading a bunch of his books. I don't even know when I've re- I've read like his I read the long version of The Stand and like it and basically all of his longest books, and I don't know how I did that because now I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> Who has the time? It's like how I read the entire Tolkien trilogy multiple times when I was a child. How do you... Loser. (laughs) I mean, fair. We had expendable time as children. We did, and we used it all for reading. I know. I kind of... I really should start doing that, actually, again. But it was actually probably the most formative of the books that I read. Which brings us to the movie that brought us here today. Yeah, I think... So I think it's fair to say that we all feel pretty strongly about Stephen King as an author. I personally have gone number to- one. 
<laughs> yeah, I personally, well, I personally have gone to bat for Stephen King as like an auteur because I know that there are a lot of people that do not feel that way, and they're wrong. <laughs> well, you know, he's good, but he's better when he's like you know writing like thrillers and not really horror or like you know his dramas. <laughs> anyway, so I think it's safe to say that we all had pretty high expectations for it. I think I was a little bit more optimistic than Lauren because I bought tickets to see it twice in opening weekend before I saw it at all. So I didn't. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I thought I did see it opening weekend. <laughs> no, I know. But like I bought the tickets because what I was like so excited to see it that we found a theater that was doing a show because well, we had tickets to see the Suspiria touring. Uh, yeah, we double Italian featured print. the original Suspiria print and the new Steve and and it. Yeah. So there was a uh, nice. there was no theater like close to us, so we drove half an hour after watching Suspiria to then also go see it. But because I didn't want to hurt Ben's feelings because he couldn't go, I preemptively also bought tickets to an afternoon showing on Saturday and was like, "It'll probably be good. It's fine." I think it's I saw fine. it again on Sunday, <laughs> and it was better than fine. Well, y- yes, obviously, <laughs> Lauren. What was your like initial reaction? As having been wary of the adaptation, I where do where do words come from? All I'm seeing right now is Bill Skarsgård's face, like in my mind. I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling warm feelings inside. Um, I just I didn't expect to just flat out fucking love it. I mean, I've can't think of the last time where I'm so actively like participating during a movie, like I'm fucking gripping the chairs and then like fucking yelping like an asshole. And and cheering like the like the characters on like I never I I don't can't think of the last time I've really done that before and it, the whole theater the whole audience was at the edge of their seats doing the same exact shit and it was such a cool experience. Um, my first, I remember sitting there and being like like yes just yes there's no way someone someone especially someone who loves the book and loves the original movie there's no way like someone could have just like like hated that or like disliked it in any way that was my first just like sitting there like looking at my friends going okay i'm changed i'm a changed woman very happy the casting was just so perfect and because of that i'm so afraid that they're gonna fuck it up when they cast the adults Yes, <laughs> that is a whole yeah. other conversation that we should have in like a minute because I have after a we lot. talk about the first chapter. I have a, I have a chapter. lot of strong feelings about yeah. like who should play who, <laughs> but um yes, Amy Adams. Yes, Amy Adams, thousand percent. But in a second, <laughs> <laughs> few seconds. We'll get a couple minutes. I <laughs> Kayla, you're initial sorry. Reactions. I, yeah, okay. Um, I had, I think the last time I had expectations that were so high for a book to movie adaptation was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011. And I'm pretty excited to say that both times my expectations have been probably impossibly high. Both movies have delivered. (laughs) And this time we'll actually get a sequel. Shut up. (laughs) 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 But uh, anyway, um... I, yeah, I think I was equally as thrilled and felt uh, as ready to, like, participate in the action. And I'm usually, like, a pretty, like, even if I'm, like, scared or whatever, I try to be, like, really quiet and whatnot. But there are a couple parts where I legit, like, jumped or gasped. And 
I also, like, the parts of it that were just laugh out loud funny were so stand out to me because I feel like there's a huge problem with Stephen King movie adaptations where either it's, like, horrifically wrong and just not what was in the book at all or, like, Salem's Lot is a really good example of this. Everything that happens in the book is technically on the screen, but, like, just, like, the feeling is off. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I just think that there's something in his written work that doesn't translate well to film. It's like, you know, yeah, it's like, it's a realness. It's, it's an emotional connection to the characters. And I think that this is aside from like the green mile or like Shawshank, obviously like one of the first Stephen King adaptations where I've actually felt exactly how I felt while reading the book, because I was at like a good, probably like 400 pages into the book when I got there. And the, the other, aside from like the funny parts and stuff like that, the, the thing that struck me the most was the scene where they all go swimming, like in the rock quarry, because I just felt like this overwhelming, like crushing, uh, like it was love and love joy. and nostalgia and like a weird sort of melancholy for yeah. like that time in your life where like you can just do that and you just only love your friends and I don't know I like I don't know I was like tearing up watching it and like when they found the turtle mm-hmm. and all that stuff like it was just it was overwhelming and I that's like the feeling that I get like when I read a Stephen King novel it's not just that it's scary it has these like incredible raw human character like he just I don't know the way he writes people you you can tell that he understands people and he knows like he had like a life you know he's not just writing because he is a writer like he's writing about his experiences and about like very often like based on real people and stuff like that he captures a lot of the like feelings you have in childhood in terms of the love like the love the joy the emotions that you have the interactions you have with your friends where that's watching it the third time the other day. Uh, I don't. I, I. Besides all of the kids being cast really well, it's their relationships that he that the movie gets really, really right. You see why they all have like why Bill is the leader, why they have so much respect for him. Uh, they even get the little kind of best friendship between Eddie and Richie, like off to the side, where those two kind of have like a special connection, in a way, and. Oh, you and how they all love Bev, not as intensely as Ben or Bill do, but why they all love her and none of them are mad at Bill for being the one that she is also in love with. Um, besides just capturing the characters, it captures the relationships and how not like not only how those friendships work, but how many childhood friendships work where you can also be like really mad at someone, but you see them the next day and you're best friends again. Yeah. I'm getting emotional, guys. <laughs> also, I just I I was ready to be tired of Finn Wolfhard because Stranger Things was so big, but I I love Trashmouth. You no, know, he was so different. That's I the love thing. Like he's so, so wildly different from his character in Stranger Things, and I think that that was really a strength of the movie as well. And it also captures that the class clown who makes tons of jokes. He can be really funny, but also a lot of his humor is just dumb sex and dicks dick jokes that his friends all roll their eyes at like he's kind of the well, worst and i think that's the thing too like that is how they talk in the book that is how stephen king writes children because he knows that that's how children actually are and i think that hollywood and they in general, swear a lot they well really well do. no and that's good like hollywood <laughs> in general is so quick to just like at, like purify children in a way that they like aren't necessarily <gasps> yeah 
that, that <laughs> Richie was very real. I know I've <laughs> known many Richies and been something of a Richie. But I think it's the kid that plays Still Eddie Richie. that kind of steals the show, oh, so regardless of, of that. He's so good. No, you mean my son, my future. His like repertoire, like the, the, he, like him and Richie just yapping at each other. <laughs> Lauren's so like, I've actually already filed the adoption beautiful. papers for him specifically. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually have. I, you know. I've, He's like the first one I followed, and uh, I'm so jealous. I like I I know we're not going to jump to casting things, but I just I'm so I'm so jealous of the person who came up with making Blair playing grown up Eddie. It's perfect, and I love it. The thing though, here's yeah. the thing: is that I also saw somebody saying that Adam Scott would be a really good. No, don't Eddie. tear me apart like this. <laughs> no, I've and I've been having a real problem ever since I saw that. Because <laughs> I like. Really? I'd go lie down for a bit. <laughs> Sorry. I love Adam Scott. This I, is... I ruined everything. Ugh. I guess it depends on like what kind, but then that's like two different editors. Yeah, it's a very. You know what I mean? We're making Blair looks like a grown up version of the kid who plays Eddie. Mm-hmm. It's uncanny. Um, it does. No, the like just those friendships are really good, and I like them, and I'm a fan. Oh, also that part, like the part with the pool, is just like magical. It's maybe heightens the movie because it's like this oasis of goodness that that i don't know if you ha- weren't already in on the characters it's just re- reels you in with that one but also the me i love the music cue over it and i really want to compare it to when micah monroe is swimming and it follows because there's like a really yep. similar uh sound to both and i i really That's need to compare them because the th- <laughs> it took till like the third time seeing it but i was like this wow this i don't know i haven't watched it follows in a minute how many times can I say it's really similar? It's a, like it felt uncanny, really and we'd be disappointed if I compare them, and it's actually not that close. But it feels the same. <laughs> That's in my notes. That is literally in my notes. Oh, for real? Yeah, I, I, it just it says it follows pools. It's That's all it says. But yeah, I mean, I I used like twelve times as many words to basically just say those exact same three words. So it's fair. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually didn't catch that, and I'll have to watch it again and okay. that. While we're on the music, before I don't want to go too long on it. I really like most of the music and sound in this movie. Another good one is um, the Bev when Bev is in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. The way the oh, way God. that when she hears the sound, like there's this moment of happy music as she reads the postcard, and then it just drops when she hears the sound of the sink. It's just really well done. I I, I yeah. like honestly, my main gripe is that. In the jump scare moments, it does it goes so loud with some of the music keys that bother me a little bit. But. I think that that's like honestly the only like as, like the only technical complaint I had about the movie is that the score is a little bit like generic horror. This is movie. the same dude who who composed the music for A Cure for Wellness, which is one of the worst like films I've like ever seen in the history of ever. He had to he had to make it up somehow. <laughs> so I was I was surprised. I was really surprised but you're right there it, it is a little sometimes it's a little generic feeling but I, at the rest there's some moments where you're just like yes the music fucking makes this moment i think it's the music's real. always great it's like the sound when something moves That's unexpectedly true, yeah. that yeah. that horror movie sound that is so present in so many blockbusters yeah. it, i just wish mm-hmm. like just turn it down a little bit just turn That's it down you know that actually reminds me this is a little this is kind of tangential but um we watched Pumpkinhead. This Head. whole thing has been tangents, so. It's <laughs> cool. But we watched Pumpkinhead yesterday, and um, Ben pointed out, he's like, what is that noise that happens, like, every time a villain draws near? 
in a horror movie. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I just like, oh, I'm so used it's to like it. It's like my biggest pet But it's, it's like, it's like cicadas kind of, or they're mm-hmm. like, like as it gets closer. <laughs> and like, I think that happens a little bit in it as well. So it has a, there's a moment that's like full inception. Blah! Which will Wait, sound great. You can voluntarily watch Pumpkinhead. <laughs> the directorial yeah. debut of effects legend Stan Winston that I've never actually I, seen. I, I that's cute. Because <laughs> <laughs> the season, it was better than it has any right to be. But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so I think um, so. Uh, I know Lauren in particular wanted to talk about this as we talk about all of the things about the movie that aren't scary. <laughs> so many bro takes. So here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people have decided that this is, quote, not really a horror movie because they weren't what? scared the whole time. And I have strong feelings about that. And I think Lauren also has strong feelings about that. So if you would like yeah. to talk about that, please go ahead. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess I don't really know. I, some, I don't know, some bro, I mean, I've seen a lot of bros, but it's always some, you know, some dude with, like, his icon is, like, not even, like, him just going off in my mentions. I didn't ask for it. He's like, well, you know, I don't really know what makes this a horror movie. I mean, he's like, there was, there were no scare elements. It was, and he called it, like, a dramatic, like, coming of age, like, movie. He's like, it was just kind of, like, stand by me, you know? Just like with with some like some spooks with a like, murder clown. <laughs> yeah, it was like I was like the murder clown is a it was really spooks really that's what we're we're gonna okay. The movie starts with um, a murder clown in a gutter biting off a child's arm. Oh my god, that fucking part was I can't the one scene in my head I keep thinking about is him crawling away with the blood being washed down from the rain. And then when the lady looks out and there's still blood. It's oh really my god! Movie. My oh. just like little details. No, and like work. that's the thing. Like I don't understand how anyone can say that this is not a horror movie when like those first fifteen minutes of the movie are some of like the most fraught and tense. Like oh. can't look like watch like it's look. like watching through your fingers, trying to like just be like I, I don't know, just if you could just reach in and like grab him and pull him away from the sewer drain. Oh, he's so adorable too. They just got they got the most adorable child on the planet to play. It hurt so bad. <laughs> and it like and that's the thing too is like it continued to hurt. Like with the you know, the its uh manifestations as Georgie and Aww. all of that. And they changed almost everyone's personal monsters, but they still act worked surprisingly well and like Bill's love for his brother being the core of the movie actually was. Wailing <laughs> 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 going over the line. But it's true. It's, it's... It is like it works really well. I don't know if you had told me that was the through line going into the movie. Like they had changed it to that, and that like it's a like that Bill. Not only has it come to terms with his brother's death, but thinks he might still be alive. That feels like a somewhat big change. I mean, I think that Bill's love for his brother is pretty central in the novel, but that is definitely a big it's much change more where tangible they thought that here. he was alive. Yeah, and I mean, I think so. The thing that I'm confused about is I don't know like when this idea started that it's not a horror movie if you're not like peeing your pants the entire time you're watching. The yeah. witch. Well, like, it didn't start I, there, but it was a big thing around the I witch, just, and like, I was just as mad. Then. I just, it's I truly, stupid. I truly don't understand because you know that if it was just like like balls to the walls like only 
terror and horror. Everyone would be mad about that too. It's just it's just a limited idea of what the horror genre can encompass. Well, and that's like I think that's the thing that uh, I mean I run up against a lot when I talk to people about like horror movies and why I love this genre Mm -hmm. is that people are like, oh, well, like as a feminist and. like and also it's just dumb and bad and it's like there's so much (laughs) i mean i'm sure you've dealt with this too lauren but like there's just i think people just don't understand like there's so much nuance in character and in story and like yeah okay there are a lot of garbage horror movies but there are a lot of garbage every other movie too like i just don't understand why horror is the one genre where we're like well there were some bad ones so i guess the whole genre is bad like that's it it's over but, and, and i don't know there are so many things that watching horror can accomplish even in terms of exploring your own experiences and feelings and fears mm-hmm. and helping you confront those or explore those like mm-hmm. it does you don't even have to get complicated like that <laughs> like well and also i think what? that i think that the reason that this we have to to have this conversation every time there's like a good and critically acclaimed horror movie is because people are so fed into this idea that horror is like the garbage genre that they don't want to admit that it's a good horror movie so like they have to call yeah. it a thriller or a drama or a whatever so that they yeah. can like deal with their Absolutely. own enjoyment of it it surpasses the horror genre Absolutely. yeah and that's the thing i'm like no it doesn't it adds to the canon it's just a horror movie like yeah. i don't know i it's it's one of my biggest happies, and it's especially bothering me this time around because it's literally the fucking king of horror. And, like, this movie is scary. Like, I don't understand. Like, I guess if you're, A like, murder clown eats children and feeds yeah. them their fears. It's... And, like, even the scares that are, like, kind of ridiculous. Like, the one that I, I, I said this to you on the way out of the theater, the projection screen in the garage. Oh, my God. I was like, so good. I was, like, objectively, this that is was so... so... That reminded me of, um, of Sinister. Yeah. That was... Clever, yeah. and I loved it. And I was like, objectively, this is like kind of goofy, but I'm literally like dying right now. I'm so scared. Like, and that that the, yeah. the way that they did like the, the the jump cuts for that was so effective. Also, while the leopard yeah. oh, didn't scare God. me, the balloon. I I don't know the way they do the balloons also terrifies me just because of how rigid they are. Mm-hmm. The way they float without mm-hmm. the string moving. I don't know. It's it because it's so unnatural. It is like very uncanny and it unsettles me tremendously because well, that's mm-hmm. not how balloons work <laughs> no. yeah and i think so we've <laughs> talked about so we've talked about like the kids and how their performance holds up but i think really obviously uh bill skarsgård was the one who had the most riding on his performance because of you know oh, yeah. being recast in like a beloved icon role <laughs> tim curry is like the only thing people can agree on about it whether it's good or not which is like i, I don't know i i just watched the original miniseries for the first time uh a couple months ago and I, yeah i mean i would say tim curry is definitely like the best part of it but he's also kind of like just being tim curry <laughs> like yeah which makes him the best part of living on the planet earth so i don't know lauren lauren yeah. how do you feel like a uh, compare and contrast like how do you feel about their performances like against each other i guess make it a competition all right all right all right i'm like i'm like you know i'm rolling up my sleeves here okay when i the first when i first saw the new it i was like you know what i'd almost like tim curry's it in this new one instead of like bill skarsgård i'm not sure how i feel about it and then i had to go see it again and then and then watch the original it again and then compare them side by side because you know i just have all the time in the world it's like three in the morning <laughs> um 
the new Bill Skarsgård. It really fucking seems like he had. Now in the book, Pennywise definitely feels it feels like a clear vendetta against these children for whatever reason. But in the original movie, it doesn't come. He it just feels like he's bored. He's a bored entity just fucking with people. Whereas Bill Skarsgård is so intensely hell bent on I'm gonna just ruin all of your fucking lives. Like fuck yeah. Whereas Tim Curry is just like, hey, here I am waving. Uh, hi. Here's a balloon. <laughs> like, um, and it's he's more like a creepy uncle in a clown costume, like a like a, almost like a John Wayne Gacy. Whereas like Bill Skarsgård's like, no, I am a fucking shape shifting demon. All right, fucking fear me. And so yeah, yeah. And so I think yeah. So I definitely changed my opinion after like the second watch that his it's it's. I mean, they both work for for whatever movie they're in. Like it's like it's the nineties one is so. It's just so it's just so different and it's definitely more campy. Um, whereas this one I tried more to be a serious, like horror film. Um, and I think Bill Skarsgård's it like definitely works very, very his Pennywise definitely I, I'm never gonna call him Pennywise because I always think of the the terrible, awful band. <laughs> I, I think I think he works his like it just works better if I'm be, if I'm really actually putting them side by side. I think what Skarsgård's performance accomplishes is more of that, like, uh, idea that he is using their fear as, like, a food seasoning as opposed to, like, a super fun game. You know, like, it's, like, yes. kind of, like, it's yes. a hunt. <laughs> and, um, yes. like, again, like, Tim Curry's great. I'm never going to say that Tim Curry isn't great, obviously. But I think that for the adaptation to be, like, as true to the book as possible like bill skarsgård's performance works better just mm-hmm. absolutely menace and like i was pretty pleasantly surprised by him as well uh some of the trailers had like the uh the running like uh like motion that he does like once it like was in the context of the movie but in the trailers i was like oh man i do I not love know about that the bizarre moments in the movie that are totally surreal like when he dances when bev wakes up and in the sewer and he dances for her totally yeah. surreal but i love it and like in those moments when he does that weird totally supernatural stuff i just we don't i don't see much stuff like that actually that takes me to a point i meant to make earlier which is that i think part of the reason people have trouble with the horror elements is because absurdity or humor are woven through so much of it whether it's the kids making jokes or like the way that pennywise is acting and i wonder if that might be the thing that i don't know makes it not work for some people or maybe not seem as scary because i mean i don't i find the absurdity heightens the terror which is weird but it for me cuts because it like the, that's like tim curry's entire performance so i don't see how you can be like that movie traumatized me but this one's not a did horror those people movie. also like yeah, it i yeah. don't know some some of them did. No. Um, I that actually reminds me of one of my favorite things about the audience that we saw with opening night was um that at first uh everybody was like a little bit laughing whenever like Pennywise would talk mm-hmm. or say something and like as the movie went on it just got like quieter and quieter and quieter and then like by the time we got to the weird dancing thing nobody laughed <laughs> like there was it was dead quiet like everybody was like terror afraid silence like it was it was so i was like this is it like this is like so effective and good that they've done it they finally have made a horror movie audience shut up (laughs) (laughs) i don't know the structure works so well too i don't like which is 
kind of crazy because of how much they had to change it from the books to make it work and also fit even halfway into a two hour movie. But I don't, it is continually building on itself with these different vignettes entering into each of the kids' lives separately and together. And I don't know, it really does crescendo to this ending, which isn't maybe isn't like the hugest ending, especially not how it was initially planned, but emotionally it all crescendos quite nicely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And I think that they do a really good, like I, I know a lot of people had some problems with like the kind of vignette style of like getting that out of the way, but I don't think there's like, unless you're going to literally make it into like an HBO series and go for four seasons. Like, I don't think there's really yeah. a satisfying way to like get, there's just so much there. Mm-hmm. It's such a long dense book and i feel like they really did the best that they could but i think in particular with uh with bev's home life and the scenes with her dad are just like that's so upsetting. i think that's actually the scariest part of the movie uh people i, I agree with you completely I, w- I was gonna say earlier that i was more terrified i think out of everything that pennywise turned into i was more most afraid of bev's dad um, and uh, people thought that she was portrayed as a weak character, and I did not get that at all. No. I did not no. feel that way at all. <laughs> I think that I, I think that there were a couple disservices done to her character, but I don't think that at any point she was like made to be weak. She's still. the strong. Like I, I think it's pretty clear, and not just by saying it, but by showing it in different ways, that she's the strongest one of them all. Yeah. Besides the fact that she looks the, like like she's I don't know she's the most mature of them. She very much leads the way um in many ways it's like these gaggle of boys just run, like running into each other just falling over themselves and she <laughs> seems like the real adult in the situation yeah, yeah. and well and i think part of that is that like in her entire life she's had to be the adult so she's the one who stabs pennywise mm-hmm. in the face first yeah and like, she's the reason they mm-hmm. overcome him at all yeah no my only only gripe with bev's character is that they did do this ridiculous like oh bev got kidnapped thing and that's just to me, like, that doesn't make yeah. Bev the weak character. It's just a misstep it's, in writing. It's a shortcut to get the boys all together again. Which, um, like, which saves time, right. but also is kind of a cheat. Which, like, I just think that it would have been pretty easy to do exactly what they did in the book and have Henry Bowers chase them down there. Like, they don't necessarily have to be on good terms for that to happen. Well, I, I don't Could Henry do that, though? Because his, his two buddies that were still alive disappeared. So it would have been, you know, just him. <laughs> that's true. Oh. Oh, can we can we talk about Henry Bowers for a yes. bit? Like, oh my god, that's my other notable weak point of the movie. <laughs> okay, I don't really know how to feel because I forgot really about like the significance of his character. Like, I didn't think much of anything of him going into the movie, um, and like I I just. I don't know what I what what I what it is that I wanted more of from that. It just felt like, why do, like, him, like, you know, the scene with the TV and then the, the kill him, kill everyone, you know, and then, like, the, and, like, the, the, the switchblade thing was awesome. Honestly, that's a pretty fucking cool way to kill somebody. But, um, why were we supposed to care, yeah, you know what I, don't I mean? Like, I, I don't like being asked to feel bad for literal, like, murderous sociopaths. <laughs> I think and, that's yeah. another place where the shortcut, like, having to take shortcuts to keep the movie, uh, short uh kind of hampered it is because there's no build up with his character not that there needs to be a lot but he is like 
homicidal from the jump. Yeah, and I think that like I mean I get like I guess it's like his and like his dad's not even like really a bad dude because like if I was dealing with my clear, uh, well I mean like he is, but like his he fired a gun around his son's yeah, feet. Yeah, but like I very much like got the feel. I get that, but I very much also got the feeling that his son was like kind of an out of control like homicidal maniac that he like had to do stuff like that to rein in. Uh, I, I don't think know. Part like, of, I, I, I think really... what the movie's getting across is that part of the reason he's like that is because his dad is a cold, violent uh, monster. Maybe I just, I think, I think there was just, there just needed to be more nuance there to like understand There just wasn't much time. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it was so like, oh, all of a sudden this is a focus of the, okay, cool, all right. But like, it was so, it just felt so like, why, why am I sitting here? True, with the first watch, I was like, yeah cool a bit and the second time i was like oh my god i'm with this scene again i'm supposed to am i supposed to have empathy am i supposed to feel things that he just killed his dad now he's gonna kill the kids this is a lot i forgot this is important like i don't know i just yeah if if they had more time maybe like stretching that out and developing a little bit more would have like been better overall i did the, I, th- I thought his acting was fantastic yeah, i think with so. what he was given he did a, a perfectly fine job and it's like weird to me that they chose to skip yeah. on that considering henry is like pretty important in part two as well maybe not important but like they yeah. need him to show up again so I f- like <laughs> i do wonder yeah. in the book how often do we learn about henry through his interactions with the kids and because you know it's a movie there can only be so many interactions right. between henry and the kids because the kids Kids also need to have all their own interactions with, it, with yeah. Pennywise and with each other. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, I think that there are so like uh, this movie is like pretty cohesively strong altogether. I would say that like that those two things. And then the only other thing that I have like a gripe with is Mike Hanlon. <laughs> Mike Hanlon. Oh, why did yeah, he do so that? So I think it's obviously pretty fucking egregious to take the entire character of the one black character in the novel and give it to Ben I for th- no reason. I, especially think, yeah. when... I think probably how it happened was, I mean, I guess I just keep pulling out this not as an excuse, but as a reason, like these shortcuts that have to be made, these things that have to be mushed together in an adaptation. And it probably, like, I feel like it probably started off as that, like structurally it made sense to do that, to give that to Ben, but then it leaves Mike with not a lot to do. And apparently he had, there was a lot more with Mike and his dad in the Kerry Fukunaga version. And that was lost as the Muschietti's took over. Um, That doesn't surprise me at all, but um, I can understand, I guess why it would make sense to kind of consolidate those traits into one character, but considering that it is Mike's entire job in part two to call all of them and bring them together. And he's like the one that stays. And that's like the whole point because his dad was the historian. And like, it also didn't make sense to just kill his parents in a fire for no reason. I don't know. I I think that because of maybe the political climate that we live in right now, they're afraid they were afraid to take the risk of going into like the clear, uh, very easily spelled out portion of the novel where Stephen King is like, it feeds on racism. Racism is alive in dairy because it is causing it and also feeding on people's evilness. Like no, it never really explicitly goes into that, but that is like in their bullying of Mike that it comes out there, but not much besides well, that. In the book, they kill his dog and they, Oh no, in the, the book, there's yeah. a lot of racism. Like, it's just like, 
Yes. It's just like, it just seems like such an absurd thing to leave out, especially like when we have all of the scenes that are very upsetting with Bev's dad. And it's like, okay, so we thought that it was cool to put sexual violence against a child in this movie, but like racism, bad. I don't, I don't know that that, that was intentional. I think it's just because Bev is a more active character and a more important character than Mike in many ways. Um, and also it probably can't like, I don't, again, not trying to make excuses because I don't like it, but I think it's a lot of, it's just like unfortunate, not accident, but they got there for different reasons, but it looks bad. (laughs) They didn't think of these other things that would come up necessarily, or maybe weren't as worried about it. I'm not not sure. But like, because Mike's the outsider, because he's not original, like not one of the original members of the group and he's not, you know, romantically entangled with two other members of the group. Um, I think, I mean, kind of like Henry Bowers, he's not as involved with some of the main characters. And so. Sorry, I just had a horrible thought where I was like, well, technically they're all romantically entangled in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, let's spend 10 minutes talking about whether they should have the, I don't know. I don't don't think anybody talked about the orgy. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) I am curious to hear Lauren's thoughts on this. What do you think of orgies? Uh, well, in ge- in general, they're fucking fantastic. Um, between some children, I have I'm not sure I can say the same. I do I do I did think I mean I couldn't because you can't really reread it, but I did skim Z's through important parts when I went back before the new movie, and I'm getting to that and just thinking like, okay, this ha- this happens. And and I I still I'm still kind of resistant to it. And then I was like reading like like King's take on it and why he thought it was like sort of important and like it makes sense, blah blah blah. And then and then there are actual literal real human people with like breathing like like lungs that work and brains that work that are mad that that was not in the new film. And I just like sitting there like, why do you think that like the why like and it, King likes it recently like he doesn't understand why people are so fucking obsessed with like that and why they're so fixated on it. And I'm just like, if that had happened in the new movie, that would have shattered literally everything. Uh, like, so I don't, I have not actually yet gotten to that scene in the book. Oh, good um, luck. I have read an unfortunate amount of takes on it because everyone is talking about it all the time. It really didn't stick with me when I read the book as much. I don't yeah. know. There was like, cause there was so much other stuff and like, yeah, yeah. I guess so, you take it out so of long, context. It's like an afterthought. I think like, I guess from what I'm understanding and from uh, what I will take as the, the perspective, like, from King's perspective, I can see like why it's fine in the book, but I would never ever in my life be mad about an adaptation. That's the first thing you cut from like the twelve hundred page book. That is easily the first yes. choice of cuts. Yes. <laughs> you uh, know, I was just thinking. I had another complaint that kind of united with the one we were having, which is that not complaint, but like you know, because I really like the movie, and it's more I'm sad that certain things aren't in it, but I'm not mad about it because there's only so much you can put in there. But like we lose, <laughs> not only do we lose a lot of Mike, but we lose a lot of the history of Derry and how yes, much do. that this evil is present in the town, and like how it causes how the adults like look past all this stuff, how there's this long history of violence throughout Derry. Like we have like just enough lip service towards it in certain moments that like, you know, it's there, it's present, it's accounted for, but 
that was something I really liked about the book, and that's something that really fed a lot of the hopelessness that mm-hmm. and the fear that I felt reading the book was. I don't know how much like lo- losing the town as a character, you know, because like the town is like well, a character. The town, in the, story. Is, the town is yeah. always a character in but, a Stephen yeah. King novel. Like that's true. Like Salem's Lot is very much an active character in yeah. the novel. Mm-hmm. Towns in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. no, that was a good hot. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I think that all small grapes aside, uh, I given the state of like blockbuster horror, I will take having like three grapes. <laughs> oh, question. So Stan's monster is a woman with a warped face. Yes. I did not think this until I read it online, which is trying mm-hmm. like giving myself some separation. Is it because he's Jewish? You know what? I didn't warped face. I didn't put that together at all. I just I just thought it was like like when I when I was a kid, we had a painting. I don't know, I can't think if it was a relative's house or something that used to scare the shit out of me and I would have nightmares about it. Okay. So I related it to I related it in that aspect. I didn't think about a con like his faith at all. I didn't at the time. It wasn't until like I was of course li- taking in the takes online, which is dangerous, but I because a number of the other ones are so integral to who they are, I guess. I guess Richie's is just clown, so that one's not necessarily integral to who he is either. So I guess creepy painting is fine. I gotta say, in which case, now I feel bad, and I kind of want to cut this. <laughs> I didn't think. Well, I didn't think about it that way, but I did. You don't have to cut this, but like, I I did think that Sans was like really weird. Yeah, in that's the context what, like, of like all the other ones. The others are like either very clear fears, like. Well, the one the one negative review that I read that I did a little bit agree with was somebody being like, "What the fuck is this movie that thinks that we should place like uh, child molester father on the same level as like weird painting?" As much as I don't know, I think that's that's part of the original story too. I'm just saying, like, as much as I like the movie, like they have a pretty good point there. Like those are not the same. But that's also part of being a kid. Like, yeah, I, like, yeah. It's not. <laughs> I'm glad Stan didn't have a child molester father, but yes, like, so obviously. his greatest fear is a different thing. I just thought like all the other fears made sense. They're either like very deeply connected to who they are as human beings and what their existential fears are, or it's like Richie hates clowns, or like yeah. in the book he's chased by. Well, a Well, the other thing that kind of upsets me about that though is because it then leads like so a lot of the gripes that I have are because they will lead to weaknesses in part two. So Mike's character being kind of pilfered is a problem. Oh, you're not so, going to like some of the ta- like some of the things Machete said about what Mike's going to be in part two. Well, let's wait uh, on that. But yeah. my my other problem is that like so Stan is the one that spoilers kills himself he gets like he gets the call and he immediately goes upstairs and slits his wrist in the bathtub that's how the book starts so i just Mm -hmm. i'm not seeing how face paint lady (laughs) is like suicide that's why like that's i don't know that's why like reading that it's maybe something about how her t- appearance is twisted like is there some kind of self-loathing there but that's not maybe what we're all reading about. too much into it <laughs> like that's the other take i guess yeah well apparently originally the thing that stan sees in the i i, I guess at this point i'm listing off the fukunaga Dead version people. no he sees a naked woman oh and given oh, that fuck. it's his bar mitzvah and that he's coming of age and becoming a man like that's a whole bit oh my god is stan gay <laughs> no i think it's just like i don't think it's because he's gay i think it's just because like 
women terrifying. I like they're scary. God, that would have been a that whole makes a lot more sense. Different... Oh Lord Jesus! Yeah, I only read through the script like once. Like, oh fuck, good Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So... So I'm just, I'm just like playing. The, I'm playing that scene out in my head with the painting, and 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 with that instead, and just like feeling gross. So, yeah, so it could have worked, I mean, it could have worked, I guess, but in, in the context of, like, the way the whole movie played out, like, I don't know if, like... I don't know yeah, if it would work, it's just, like, that specific thing appearing to Stan makes more sense. I, mean, I don't know if it works sense. better. No, it does make more I think, yeah, I, I could see it working if, like, if, but then other things would have to be different, too, but it does make more sense, yeah. Yeah. I just think his OG getting trapped in, like, a giant whatever with dead people... And, like, being told they're going to, like, rip his skin off or whatever they say in the book is, like, pretty worthy of whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Do we want to finish off with our fantasy casting? Yeah, I think so. Let's, yeah, I think to wrap things up, let's talk a little bit about, like, what we want oh. out of part two. <laughs> Good and, movie. Yes, also... We liked it. We missed some things. We have some nits. But mostly, mm-hmm. we seem to all be fans. Yes. This. And we are, I think, all excited to have a sequel to a major blockbuster horror movie. You guys. You guys, what what would Pennywise turn into for you? Ooh, that's a good one too. Ugh. If I would, okay, so like me right now or me as an eleven year old? We can go with both. Okay. Oh man. Let's see. The first thing I thought of was the John Mulaney quicksand bit. Well, when I was younger, I was, like, deathly afraid of being kidnapped. Like, I I think I just saw too many, like, movies and TV shows where that, like... You turn into the kid from The Grudge for me. It's literally, like, the quicksand joke where, like, I thought that was going to be a much bigger problem (laughs) being kidnapped. Um, So, I probably, like, an evil kidnapper. Now, probably just, like, a basic-looking dude. The kid from The Grudge. (laughs) It would have just been, like, The Grudge for me. Actually, mine would be a guy in Ann Arbor with glasses and a mustache that is a vegan straight edge and is a grad a graduate student of literature. <laughs> oh my god! For me, it'd be someone saying, "You know, it's really more of a dramatic thriller." <laughs> yeah, no, Lauren, what would it be for you? I just stop. Just, just someone saying, "Well, actually, every time I try to speak, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Well, actually, probably giant bugs. Also, oh god, yeah, it would. So it the would just spider, it would be yeah. the exact same as the bo- it, the book for you. Spider, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, probably a car going underwater. Like all of a sudden, I'm in a car, and all of a sudden, the car is going underwater. And like that's probably one of my biggest fears. As a kid, though, I had a nightmare about Slenderman before Slenderman was conceived. Okay. This was like the like late '90s, all right. So I think he. So which is weird. But I remember having a reoccurring nightmare of a man, like a really, really tall, tall man with no face and a suit. And I was very terrified of that when I was a kid, like just mortified of this like reoccurring nightmare. So that but must have been like really upsetting when that became a really popular I meme. was so confused. I mean, we want to figure out some kind of intellectual property theft suit here. <laughs> I, I just, and then other people have told me that they've had nightmares about that when they were kids too. And that it's just like the stranger danger thing that we're instilled with like as kids. 
Like, and that it's, like, someone, someone explained that to me, and I was like, yeah, I fucking guess, oh my god, those girls. The documentary on that was wild. Yeah, they were right, Slenderman is real, and we are all experiencing him right now. Yeah. <laughs> but who are you playing part two of the movie? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Amy Adams. That's yeah. Beverly. Okay. Goodbye. If, yeah. if Amy Adams, like, I, I would accept as second place Jessica Chastain, but Amy Adams. They really want Chastain. They, Why? okay, but yeah. Exact same as her. And it is. Also, yeah. We had the same thought. Like Jessica, like I love Jessica Chastain. Like don't get me wrong, but like that role is like meant for Amy Adams. It is. It really or, is. Yeah. Or our friend Autumn, who also looks exactly like Beverly. It was really, really distracting. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna play the turtle? Mm, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> 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 if there is the- not. A goddamn turtle <laughs> in the second part of this movie. No, I'm gonna fight someone. There probably be multiple turtles, because you know it's turtles all the way down. Turtles, it's plural, and all the way down implies a lot of turtles. I just want one so turtle. many turtles. <laughs> I no, and now like not like someone has a turtle on their shirt, or they like, they have a pet turtle, or like you know another little cosmic thing. turtle that vomited up our universe. More fucking cosmic turtle. <laughs> anyway, I, um, I identify as a cosmic turtle actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did it, I'm done. <laughs> um uh yeah, so I again I'm pretty torn between Macon Blair and Adam Scott. I, I think Macon Blair's I think more he sense. makes more sense, I love but Adam I think Scott, also Adam but... Scott would be hilarious in that role. He'd be great as trash man. The one that I keep the one that I have not been oh, able man. to yet visualize like realistically is Bill. Like I saw some people bandy like Jake Gyllenhaal around, but that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right to me. Like Ryan Gosling honestly was like my best. Like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I want. I kind of want Bob Odenkirk for Richie. I don't know if it's actually a great fit, but I just Bob Odenkirk was born to play someone called Trashmouth, <laughs> and also Finn Wolfhard isn't exactly great at voices, so it's okay that if Odenkirk <laughs> can't do them either. I'm just I I'm trying to think of like an adult. Bill, I want I want Ethan Hawke for some weird reason. I could see that. Yeah. Someone good. agreed. Some, screen, I think Screen Rant actually said that they want Ethan Hawke as like their first choice, and then Michael C. Hall was their second choice. And I was like, Michael C. Hall? The, no, he's already he's ruined himself as Dexter. Alright, that's all anyone would see. It would be so distracting. Yeah, I don't think that, that I've seen fit. some weird picks for Bill and I don't like all of them. I think it's because no one I think it's because Bill is so like idealized and also he was pretty gross in the nineties first. Whereas I feel so. like Ben's easy to cast. I don't know. I'm like eh, he's just he like slimmed down and became a sexy architect. Just I on. also like weirdly thought of Ryan Gosling for him too, but I think I just really like Ryan Gosling. I think, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, too sexy. Too sexy. <laughs> I, I like I think right before the movie I saw a picture of Nikolai Coster Waldo in a sweater. And so I'm just like, oh, he could be my sexy architect. I'm into that. Brad Savage is Eddie. Ooh, I like that too. So many choices. Right? Like they kind of, they kind of have the same. He still, because I feel like Eddie, whoever plays Eddie, and like has to still have that little bit of that boyish kind of like, like innocence, like in the face. And like Fred Savage looks perpetually like his wandering hair days. So I feel like it's perfect. Could we make um, Idris Elba Mike Hanlon and just, like, give him a second chance at a Stephen King? Like, I know oh, that doesn't see, fit with the character at all, but... It's the same person. I'm going to, like, put it in the show notes because I stole it from this person again. But the same person who suggested making Blair also suggested Keith David for Mike, and I love it. He might be Wait, a little we... too old now. 
No, he's Keith David. We have he's makeup. Fine. He's Keith, <laughs> also, he's Keith him. David. Are we against Tommy Maguire's Bill? <laughs> no, that you would know actually what? work pretty well. Okay. I think you're right. I oh, think look, almost looks too young still. <laughs> no, he's looking a little rougher now that he had his uh, divorce. Party his, with Leo. His weird whatever is happening there. <laughs> it look, look, he, um, I think that that could work. Eddie too. Okay. I feel like everybody works as Eddie. It's just like what? Who? What's a white of like a white nerdy adult who looks like who has a baby face? I know that like Stan <laughs> is like only in it for a little bit, but I think also that it's like important to have like a good yeah. dude as Stan. He played young Peter Quill. So clearly, okay. Chris Pratt's the only answer. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's too. No, Chris, no, that would actually Chris work. Chris Pratt would actually be like a really good Ben. Actually, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Just get one of the. Honestly, any of the Chris's can play Ben. That's true. Uh, let's see. Okay, Chris Pine for Stan. <laughs> Chris Evans for Bill. Cast the whole thing with Chris. What about uh, what about Ed Norton as uh, as a potential Bill? That'd be good too. I, Ed Norton, I think, would also would, be a like, good really quick stand. He would really commit to the role. Too. <laughs> oh, he would. He would be a good stand. If I'm thinking of like the adult casting from like the original, just like trying mm. to put that that mustache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Saying, Fuck yeah. Uh, Chris Evans as Bill is a really good idea that I think we should all just think about. <laughs> if he just like lost like a little bit of muscle mass. <laughs> wait, 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 what if How Paul Rudd is Richie? Oh, who? Paul Rudd is Paul Richie. Rudd. I like that too. Oh, that's- He's almost too he, handsome. He I feel like. It... Oh no, Finn! No, Finn! You know, you know, in 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 this it, that that Rich is going to grow up to be a sexy oh, virgin, just like in the original. Oh, yeah. Well, like, yeah. Does that movies. mean okay? So like okay, so as far as like ho- like expectations or like things that we would like to see, do, how do we want uh, Eddie to be a weird virgin, or do we want him to have his mom as his wife? <laughs> like, oh. so those are the options. Wait. So in the book, he marries... He marries someone who's exactly like his mom. Yes, yeah. not actually his mom. Sorry. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, hold on. Yeah, he married his mom. Do you that's, mean like he lives... With, I, well, I no, thought you no, meant maybe like he still he, lives with his mom. No, he marries his mom in the book. I'm just kidding. Isn't it, isn't it Richie in the original, though, who before they're about to all... They, they all think they're about to die. He goes, guys, just so you know, like in his weird high-pitched like voice, like, I, I'm still a virgin. And they all like hug him. That's Richie, right? No. In the original? It's Eddie. In the miniseries? Is it really? Oh, it is? In the miniseries? Okay. He cut out his wife entirely. In the original, he still lives with his mom. Oh. So he, oh, okay. It's like a virginal sacrifice. I fell asleep in the last 20 minutes. Hey, he dies in the book, too. Spoilers. Oh. oh he dies oh, in the book? God. <laughs> Does he really? Just, just fuck us all. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Damn it. No, it's okay. I would have found out. I'm glad, like, I'm glad, I'm glad you watched the TV series, so, like, you at least... No, I felt, like, I thought that that was, like, a change, oh, the thing. Right. They, they do make Eddie... Right, okay, you're right. Okay. They said it's Eddie. Okay. No, it's okay. Oh, my God. I that's... forgot that you'd only read half no, of No, that's actually, ho- that's actually hilarious to have on recording, so it's all good. <laughs> See, I got, I got, I got confused for a second, I felt bad, and then you spoiled the book for Kayla, and now I feel... <laughs> Secondhand, terrible. So it's all fine. It's okay. To be fair, I confuse Eddie and Richie almost all of the time, like for no reason. That's why they're they're besties. <laughs>
All right. Well, now that now that the I've ruined book Kayla's future, ruined, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't believe there's that... also a child orgy. Spoilers. <laughs> I don't actually believe that spoilers can ruin a good story. I so. fucking agree. I hate people like, oh my god, don't tell me. Or like, fucking, oh my god, what was? What did I ask? What did I quote unquote spoil for someone that's so fucking mad at me? Um, um, fuck. Oh, the end of the Great Gatsby. Like, what? You didn't read that in school? Like, seriously? I the feel like I feel like. 20? Yeah, I feel like if the book is more than, like, 80, 60 years old, that spoilers, like, you can't even be mad about that. Well, you know, someone once told me that <laughs> Romeo and Juliet both die at the end. It really pissed me what? off. That's so fucked up, man. True love. Great, right? great. I'm really big on, like, spoilers don't ruin a thing, but I am also the same person who gets annoyed when a trailer gives away the entire movie. Oh, you mean, but like, I... every entire movie trailer ever? The trailer yes. for Brothers starring Tobey Maguire has every single, like, high-key action point, like, in the trailer, and that was the whole movie. Except then, like, the movie is actually, like, weird and different than the trailer still. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, a weird thriller, and it was, like, kind of just a sad drama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sad, yeah. Speaking oh of trailers, I do, I almost, we almost went through this whole thing without saying, the It trailer is incredible. It was a really good <laughs> Honestly, trailer. one of the most terrifying movie moments I've had is watching the end of that trailer okay but the pipe promo photo was no bueno okay <laughs> when he's like popped out of the pipe at a what was angle, that? Like they, the they thought that was the lead promo photo that was the one that they were pushing the movie with it's so bad it worked ah like I mean, I was probably a bigger thing because like yeah, it got people high or whatever <laughs> no. I just, oh man Dude, there were so many articles just about what Bill Skarsgård was going to look like as Pennywise. Sexy. I remember seeing so many. Oh my god, Lauren, no. What if Bill Skarsgård <laughs> also plays adult Bill? Wait, Lauren, I need to know if you're in the group of people that wants... You don't want to fuck Pennywise? No, I don't want to fuck the evil clown with the giant forehead, okay? I just wanted to make sure because, what? like, I don't know, man. No, Something <laughs> about the way those eyes drift apart. <laughs> he does that in real life. I would you know, ask... I would ask him to do the mouth thing in bed, though, probably. Just, like, in the middle I was just going to say, do you, did you see how wide his mouth opened? Yeah, yeah those I are like, 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 <laughs> like the teeth. That's what those deadlights can do. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> what them deadlights do? Maybe you can hook up with the girl from teeth. Oh, that's not good. Oh, oh God. Oh, All right. So. Okay. That was bad. That's a whole other All right. Bad. So, do we have any closing points? about this because i have to go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) um closing points um probably my teeth go watch teeth uh i I was so pleasantly happily surprised by this fucking movie i'm like so glad it was as good as it was and i'm glad it made all the money yeah i'm pretty glad that it was good and that also the sequel is still gonna happen because that would be really really annoying i'm also glad that they I don't know, didn't try to cut their, like, try to uh, hedge their bets by, like, stuffing stuff in that, just in case there wasn't a sequel mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, I think that even, like, I think it, I mean, it stands alone on its, it stands alone pretty fine on yeah. its own. It's just that, like, I would be, like, I want the sequel. I know that there's more and I want to know, like, what happens. Well, yeah, but they didn't, like, <clears throat> they let it stand by itself, too. They didn't mm-hmm. for- worry too much about maybe, like, doing something like Marvel and DC do, where yeah. the marketing for the next movie is, like, heavily built into the plot of the current movie. Yeah, I super enjoyed that because, like, th- that was my big gripe with the uh, miniseries was the, like, adult dramatically, like, does, like, a soap opera stare off into the distance and then we're in a flashback, like, every ten oh. minutes. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. I wonder if that's why they cut the flashbacks from this movie. I'm glad that they did that. I thought the kids deserved their own, just like this was, we just need to keep them separate entities. Of, yeah. I think it's the best way to adapt it, unless you're going to, again, do like a four season. But TV now show. you lost all the history and Mike has nothing to do. I, but can can I just say, just the original, because like people think, my, I actually said this to my students who have seen the original and they laughed at me and kind of called me a loser. Um, but the the last scene. Yeah, my, my sophomores, they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, okay, stop, you're hurting my feelings. The last scene in the original It, when when Bill is, is it Bill and Audra that are on the bike? And and they're like, yeah, and then they're like going like down like like the hill, like into the middle of traffic. And then she just suddenly like wakes up and like grabs him and then the music gets all sad. And then like she like wakes up and it makes me cry my fucking eyes out. And there better be some magic, okay, in the next one like that. I better cry at the end. I better leave the movie theater sobbing or else I will, I will, I'm not going to demand my money back. I want my money back. (laughs) I'm just going to write like a really angry think piece and like call it a day. (laughs) That's really the the unsung hero of the series is Silver the Bike. We didn't get his characterization in this movie at all. No, that's actually, no, actually I was, I love the scene where they escape the werewolf. And like, granted, I don't know that how much lo- like Lone Ranger you can do in the, like thirty. This this one that's set so many years later, I was like, maybe you'll get a three wheeler and call it Night Rider. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, my final point is, you know, we gave Eddie a hard time for marrying someone exactly like his mother, but Bill marries someone exactly like his t- his childhood girlfriend, and Bab yeah. marries someone like her dad. So really, it's just. It's just psychology. It's a Stephen King thing. He's <laughs> yeah, very Freudian. Yeah. That is fucking true. Anyway. All right. Well. <laughs> Final points. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us on this podcast. It was going to be a bonus episode, but I guess it's a real episode now because it's real long. <laughs> it's a real, hey, real big episode. bonus episode. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, just some... Well, thank you for listening to Let the Right Films in today. Stay tuned to our feed, subscribe in all the right places, whether that be iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, whatever app that you have to continue listening to us, Google Play, uh, other ones. Uh, we'll be but coming actually, out with... Oh, wait, but actually you should do Pocket Cast because they let me into their beta and it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they can also sponsor us. Yeah. But we'll have a bunch of other bonus episodes coming out reasonably soon. Um, you can find all of our old episodes and new material at ltrfi.com. Where you can also find the horror streaming guides that have been taking way too long to put together that tell you exactly what you should watch on every streaming service because they suck at curating. (laughs) Well, they do. Like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, trying to find horror movies on there. You know, some horror. Amazon Prime is the worst. Legitimately, some movies that I would qualify as horror are in the thriller section and not in the horror section. It's a a pox. But uh, yeah, you find. You can find all those at ltrfi.com slash streaming dash horror. You know, nice, easy, any URL. We will be back soon with a bunch of bonus episodes. Hopefully we'll be back in a, on a regular basis, yes. either with continued bonus episodes or, you know, other episodes. Just, like, content going into your ears. Stuff, yeah. Good stuff. Speaking of content, you can follow our lovely and perfect guest, Lauren, on Twitter at Motel Siren. She's the best. There's no underscore. No underscore, okay. 
There, there's never been she's an underscore, that, Tyler. Uh, she's got that branded content. She okay. doesn't need an underscore. I get very paranoid at the last thing. I'm like, wait, is that exactly right? Like, I, I don't know. I always find Twitter handles by typing in like three letters <laughs> and then reading the display name. I well, it's Motel Siren, so it's good. Sorry. I got it. <laughs> Where can they find you on the Twitters? Uh, it's at personal, personal maps. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. It's a Paramore reference. <laughs> I know. That's why, that's why I love it. <laughs> but yeah, and Tyler is at Tyler Hannon because yeah. he's lame. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. mine's going to be the hardest to find because no one knows how to spell my last name. So H A N A N. What up, Lauren? Thank you. Is a star. Again, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us. No, uh, thank you. So much. We will see you next time. And timely and exciting to say, finally out loud. Fuck Harvey Weinstein. Don't do it, cat. No, no, no. Right, we'll cut that. <laughs> but we're coming. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're doing Jesus. really well. <laughs>